Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, Saturday, October the 1st, in the year 2011. And we are on our, the fourth day of our retreat, cultivating the mind of love. And we are in the Magnolia Grove Meditation Practice Center. Today we have a session of questions and answers. And we know that uh, a good question can benefit many people. Therefore, we should ask the question of our heart, a question that has to do with our practice, our suffering, our happiness. And uh, the children will have uh, the chance to ask their questions first. There will be three or four questions from the children, and then uh, teenagers will have their time to ask their questions. Also, young adults are encouraged to ask theirs. And then we adults, we have our sense to ask our questions. The practice is that um, all of those of us who have a question in our heart are invited to come up here and sit around table, like Sister Tungi, Sister Pai. And we take a time, take turn to sit on that chair in order for everyone to see us. <laughs> and before we ask our question, we shall breathe three times in and out with the sound of the bell. And we know that a good question does not have to be very long. <laughs> so please, teenagers, young adults, and others, please come and sit around here. It's very beautiful from here. Our Sangha is beautiful. There are a few questions that have been written down. And from time to time, you can read from these questions. If you want to ask a question, and if you don't want to sit up there, it's possible. <laughs> you can write it down on a piece of paper and ask someone to bring it to Sister Pai. And we, we can also ask a question for the one who who is who, who is not here, who is home. So let us uh, breathe in 
And now together enjoy our in-breath and out-breath. Enjoy our togetherness before we ask the first question. traditional foods in a Buddhist monastery. Can you repeat the question, Sister Pai? Dear Thay, dear community, our friend wants to know what are some traditional foods in a Buddhist monastery? Uh, <laughs> in order to uh, to uh, not to have uh, to eat the uh, flesh of uh, living beings. We usually go uh, vegetarian. And there are many traditions of uh, vegetarian, very vegetarian cooking. It's very, uh, very good uh, cooking. In Japan, for instance, by the way, the bell master today is a sister uh, purification, Tang Yim. She's from Japan. She's a, a violinist. And uh, she has translated some texts uh, for Thai from Japanese to English. In Japan, there are many uh, traditions of uh, monastic uh, cooking, and uh, Thai has tried, and every tradition is, uh, has, a, has a wonderful way to cook. In one country uh, where people practice uh, Buddhism, there are many ways of cooking vegetarian food. And it might be good if we organize a retreat just uh, to show the cooking of each tradition. <laughs> you have chance to taste every kind of tradition. We like to do that. Yeah. And then in Vietnam also, uh, in the north they cook it uh, differently, in the south very differently, and we enjoy all kinds of uh, cooking traditions. Uh, in the Theravada tradition, um, the monks have to go and uh, get the food from, from the people living in the countryside, in the town. And they are supposed to receive any kind of food that uh, is donated. But uh, in the Buddhist tradition, we always encourage um, that people offer the monks and the nuns the kind of food that they don't have uh, to kill animals for it. We don't like uh, people to kill animals for us. Because we want to eat in such a way that can preserve uh, compassion and love in our heart, to be a happy person that way. And 
and uh, Plum Village in France and our monasteries. Uh, we, all, we have gone uh, vegan for a long time. We do not eat uh, cheese and uh, milk and eggs because we know that uh, producing uh, milk and producing egg uh, cause a lot of uh, suffering to animals. Uh, if you know how people raise chicken for egg, if you really see how they, they, they produce uh, chicken and egg, you would not like to eat chicken anymore. And if you know how, uh, how much uh, the cow suffer, you will not enjoy very much uh, the cheese and the milk they, they give. The, the cows do, uh, do not have a chance to live with uh, the calf. When they give, uh, give uh, birth to a calf, it will be taken away from her, from them in 24 hours. They miss their, uh, their child and they, uh, they cry. And uh, the calf, if it's not uh, female, and then will be taken away for about 100 days. And after that they have to be killed for view. And they had to stay exactly at one place. They didn't have the chance to go around and play like in the old time. So if you know how people um, conduct the meat industry, you would say that uh, there's no, there's not much uh, compassion in that. That is why to have a chance to to be rich, again, well, that is uh, great. And uh, in Vietnam, um, Buddhist practitioners, they most of them uh, observe a ten. 10 days of uh, not eating meat and lately uh, he advised them to, 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 to add more, five more days because the United Nations recommended that we, uh, we, we reduce the meat industry by 50% and then we have a chance to save the planet, at least to reduce the eating of meat by 50%. So we have encouraged uh, the Buddhist practitioners in Vietnam to observe at least uh, 15 uh, vegetarian days, and if possible, to, to be vegetarian for the whole month. And many people have followed that advice. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, helping uh, with the environment.
saving our planet if we, we can go vegetarian. So at least we have to reduce our meat eating by 50% and refrain from drinking alcohol because un- drinking alcohol uh, is like um, eating the flesh of our own uh, children. Because uh, in order to make a piece of meat, uh, people have to use a lot of grain. In order to make alcohol, people have to use a lot of grain. And 40,000 children die every day because of the lack of uh, food. And instead of using that amount of grain to uh, feed the hungry children, they make meat and they make uh, alcohol. This is not very compassionate. So in school we should be taught, we should be told the reality, uh, the reality of uh, the meat industry and the industry of making alcohol. We are not very compassionate to our children and to the earth. It will continue like this. And um, we know as monks and nuns and lay practitioners. Vegetarian food can be very, uh, very good, very tasty. And I think we should uh, establish schools teaching how to cook vegetarian. Thank you for asking the question. Say it again, please. What helps to clear your mind? Please repeat. Dear Thai, dear community, our friend is asking, what helps to clear your mind? Your mind is not clear because there is some uh, confusion in it. There is some confusion, some kind of cloud in your mind. So I think one of the best way is uh, to breathe in, to stop the thinking and to breathe in and focus all your attention on your in-breath. Stop the thinking, just breathe in and out and focus our attention on our in-breath, in and out. Sometime later, we find that uh, we are more solid. We are more present in the here and the now. And our thinking become more clear. Because uh, usually the things that uh, make us uh, confused is uh, the kind of uh, Anger, fear, craving, and uh, especially um, 
dispersion. Dispersion, it means that uh, you do not have mindfulness and concentration. You are, your mind is dispersed. Your mind is being pulled away by the thinking about the past, the future, and many things. So your mind is not clear because you are dispersed. Your mind is not with your body. Your mind has no mindfulness and concentration. That is why breathing in and focusing your attention on your in-breath, you begin to have mindfulness. And if you continue, you begin to have your concentration. So with mindfulness and concentration, your mind will be will will be one, and uh, you begin to see things more uh, more clear. Clear. Try. Third question. If you don't believe in God, you go to the underworld. Dear Thay, dear community, our friend is asking, is it true that if you don't believe in God, you go to the underworld? This uh, question cannot be answered unless we know what is God and what is the underworld. Uh, many people uh, think of God as love. If you have love and compassion in your heart, you have God in, in, inside of you. Many people think of God as uh, intelligence, uh, wisdom. And if you have a wisdom, understanding in you, and then God is in you. So if, uh, if, uh, if you think you do not have uh, the capacity to understand and to love, you don't believe in God. If you, you, you think that God is understanding and love, and then you have to believe in God. Because if you don't believe in understanding and love, you will suffer. You'll be in hell right away. And the underworld is hell, and you don't need to die in order to go to the underworld. You are in the underworld now, if you don't have any understanding and love within yourself now. So in order not to lose our time in discussing what is God, whether God exists or not, we can make a simple definition. God is understanding and compassion and love. 
And if you don't believe in understanding and love, you are lost. You suffer. Because someone who does not have love, understanding, she cannot relate to any other human beings. She cannot relate to any animal and vegetable and minerals. And she is completely uh, cut off. And that is hell. That is hell already. And you don't need to die in order to go to hell. You are in hell right now because you don't have understanding and compassion. That is why the, a good practice is to cultivate more understanding and love. If you are a Christian, and if you know how to cultivate understanding and love, you are, have God always with you. And if you are a Buddhist, and if you know how to cultivate understanding and compassion, the Buddha is with you and God is with you at the same time. And that is important because without these two elements, you cannot be a happy person. Okay. What kind of Buddhas are there? Dear community, our friend is asking, what kind of Buddhas are there? You recognize a Buddha not by the form, Because sometimes the form looks like a Buddha, but inside is not a Buddha. <laughs> that is a fake Buddha. <laughs> a fake Buddha. You can see a Buddha statue made in bronze, copper, or even uh, emerald, or gold. But that is uh, only a statute, it's not a Buddha. A Buddha is someone who is very alive, who has a lot of compassion and understanding. A Buddha can be a he or a she. And don't think that the Buddha is far away and 2,500 years ago. There are many Buddhas very close to us. If we are mindful, we can recognize them. They have a lot of understanding. They have a lot of compassion. And we feel we like to sit close to them because they radiate brotherhood, sisterhood, understanding, compassion, and happiness. So if you see someone radiating happiness, full of love and understanding, you know that she is a Buddha, very close. Buddha is someone who understands and who loves. Because Buddha means the awakened one, the loving one. And uh, in the teaching of the Buddha, it is said that every one of us has the seat of understanding, the seat of awakening, and the seat of love. 
And if we practice well, the seed of understanding, of awakening and love will, will grow and manifest and become a full Buddha. There are, there are half-time Buddha and part-time Buddhas. <laughs> sometimes they are kind, sometimes they are awakened, sometimes they are compassionate, and sometimes they are not. So our practice is to, to become full-time Buddhas. And the world needs uh, full-time Buddhas. And this, it is possible for everyone to become a Buddha, an enlightened one, a mindful person, a loving person. And the practice helps us to become more and more a full-time Buddha. One day of practice can already help a lot. It increases the Buddhahood in us. Because everyone has Buddhahood, Buddha nature. Even the terrorists, they have Buddhahood in them. But because they don't practice, they have a lot of anger, hate and violence. If they wake up to the Buddhahood in them, they will begin to practice. And then the element of understanding, compassion and love will grow in them. And they will stop being a terrorist. They will become a Bodhisattva. In the time of the Buddha, there was a terrorist called Angulimala. He had killed 99 people, a serious killer. And he wanted to kill the Buddha. He ran after the Buddha and tried to kill the Buddha. But the Buddha helped him converted him into a good person. And finally he became a very gentle person, practicing the Dharma. And the Buddha had that power to help a violent person, a terrorist, to become a very gentle, loving person. And you should, you should learn about the story of Angulimala. Thank you. It's now time for the teenagers to ask their questions. Where are the teenagers? <laughs> teenagers, young adults. And others. gặp một người um, hoặc là khi đối xử với một người um, mình không có cảm giác là mình hơn người ta 
hoặc thua người ta hoặc bằng người ta mà mình thương người ta um, với tất cả tấm lòng của mình um, tại vì con cảm thấy rất là khó khi mà um, có đôi khi con cảm thấy ghen tị với một người khác um, làm con cảm thấy rất đau khổ um, I wanted to ask how I can relate to another person um, and love the person with my whole heart and not feel superior or inferior or equal to the person. It's a very hard concept for me to grab because um, sometimes I feel jealous or inferior than another person. It makes me suffer a lot. So that's my question. That's a good question. And I think I have a good answer. <laughs> and this answer is drawn from the teaching of the Buddha. When we meet, uh, when we see the other person, we should uh, recognize the fact that in him or her there is suffering also. There is suffering in us, that's sure. But there is suffering in him and in her too. So you have something in common. Both of you suffer. And basing on that, it is possible, you know, that it's possible to help each other to suffer less. And you forget about uh, uh, you are equal to him or better than him or lower uh, works there than him. So this is uh, not too difficult to, uh, to do when you meet the other person. We may have the tendency to compare, to compare. But uh, before we do that, we breathe in and remember the fact that there is suffering in, in us and there is a suffering in him too, in her too. And that will dissipate that kind of uh, tendency to compare, to suffer is not a bad thing, and suffering is an ingredient with which we can make uh, happiness. And the practice consists in uh, learning how to make good use of the suffering in order to create happiness. We know that uh, comparing and these complexes give uh, a lot of suffering. So we, uh, we give uh, priority through the practice of recognizing the suffering in us and in the other person. And uh, the first idea, the first thing we have in mind is uh, how to help him to suffer less. Because uh, that person may look uh, uh, like uh, she does not suffer. Uh, but that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. That person looks very fancy. 
But uh, there is one thing that is certain, there is suffering in him or in her. And if you can touch that, compassion in you will arise and it will protect you from other afflictions like jealousy, uh, superior, uh, inferiority complex, and so on. Try and report to Thay after a few weeks, right? <laughs> Thank you. My question is um, asking for advice. Um, would, would you advise someone who has, you know, all their life been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder or any type of mental disorder that hinders a person from, you know, being in reality, being in the now, and they've relied so much on medicines that doctors give them to stay focused? Um, what is your advice to them to live in the now? Dear Thay, dear community, a friend is asking if a person has been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder or any mental, mental illness that has to do with not being able to focus or anything that, that hinders their way, their, their mental clarity. Um, and they've been relying on medicines that have been prescribed all their life, ever since they got that diagnosis. And what, what can Thai offer to someone in that situation? Well, um, the medicine can help uh, survive help us survive. But uh, without that medicine, it would be more difficult. But with uh, medicine, you can survive. But what you will make, uh, what should you do during the time uh, when you can survive? If uh, you take medicine in order to survive, that is not wise. If you feel a little bit okay with the medicine and then you have to make good use of the time of that time in order to to create something that you can rely on later when you don't have medicine it's like uh, during the during the summer we cut the wood and we dry the wood in order for winter we have something to burn in our wood stove so you might, you might use uh, some medicine, but not just to survive. When you feel you can survive, and then make good use of that time in order to practice, so that you will not have to rely on medicine anymore. And that is the first thing we should do. The second, is, uh, the second thing is uh, there should be friends and communities that can help. And uh, if we put the person in a good environment, uh, 
that can encourage him or her to practice, not just to survive. And then they will be a, that person will profit from the best moments of their life in order to to practice, in order to to cultivate uh, uh, the capacity to be on her own and not to rely on uh, medicines and the outside help. Uh, if we leave it to that person alone, it will may be difficult. But if we have a good uh, environment, a good uh, sangha uh, that can encourage that person to to make good use of uh, the time when she feels she can survive, and she may get out of the situation after some time. Many people use medicine only to survive. That's not good. Um, what would you do if you had a friend that wasn't being loving towards another friend or like a group of friends that are? not being loving towards another group of friends, and you're in the middle, what should you do? Um, dear Tyre, a friend is asking, what do you do when you have one friend who's not being loving towards another friend, or you have a group of friends and they're not being loving towards another group of your friends, and you feel you are caught in between? There are many things you can do. Uh, the first thing is not to take side. Uh, we should be there for both of them, for both groups. Sometimes it's difficult, but that's the only way. Like during the war in Vietnam, the two warring parties, the communists and the anti-communists, they don't want them to fight and kill each other. So you should not take uh, uh, side. It's difficult because uh, you might be looked upon by both sides as their enemy. If you are not my friend, you are your, my enemy. That's the way people think. So you should stand firm on, on that. I want to love both all of you. You have to tell. Uh, I don't want uh, to lose any of you. I have to be friend of both, both groups. Uh, in the war in Vietnam, many of us were killed because we stood on that uh, stand. But we kept very firm. The second thing is, uh, the second thing we can do is uh, to help uh, both person to see the difficulties of the other side. You go to one side and you show that uh, you understand their suffering. I understand the suffering that you have. Uh, 
you are going through. And I'd like to support and to help you. But I would like to tell you that on the other side, they suffer a lot also. And they suffer very much like you, you suffer here on this side. And try to tell them about the suffering of the other side. And only when this side understands that the other side suffer and then anger and, uh, and uh, wish to punish uh, will be removed. So as a mediator, practicing mindful mediation, you go to both sides and tell the suffering of the other side touching the suffering inside and touching the suffering on the other side is very important. And that's what we do in Plum Village, uh, uh, where uh, we sponsor, we use to sponsor groups of Palestinians and Israelis to come and practice with us. And when they first come to Plum Village, uh, you know, it's very difficult for them to look at each other because the each group has a lot, has a lot of fear, suspicion, anger. So the, during the first week, uh, what we help both groups is to to advise them how to breathe and to uh, to recognize the emotion, to relax, to release the tension, and to get in touch with the beauty uh, of the place and get some nourishment. And then we begin to, to, to help them to practice uh, deep listening, compassionate listening to the other group. And this is a very important practice. You allow the other side to tell you about their suffering. And you know that you will have time to do that too, to tell them how you suffer. Yeah. But now you just sit and listen. And this uh, practice is called uh, compassionate listening. And compassionate listening is, um, has only one purpose, to allow the other side to speak out to empty their heart and to suffer less. Maybe uh, no one has been able to listen to him or to her. So you may be the first one who can sit peacefully and listen to him or to her. That is uh, a practice of compassion, compassionate listening. And uh, you have to train yourself before you can listen. Because while the other person is uh, expressing himself, uh, he might water the seed of anger, <laughs> irritation in you. Uh, what he say may ha- have a lot of uh, wrong perceptions, misunderstanding, uh, um, bitterness, um, accusation, and so on. So. What the other person say might touch off uh, the seed of irritation, anger, 
and you want to react by interrupting him or her. And if you do like that, you fail. You transform the session into a debate. So you practice mindful breathing in and out. And you say that I listen to him like this with only one purpose, to allow him a chance to empty his heart and suffer less. Therefore, even if he, he said many, he say many wrong things, full of wrong perceptions, full of bitterness, accusation, I still continue to listen because my purpose is not to argue with him, to correct him, but to allow him to have a chance to suffer less by speaking out. So if you, if you practice mindful breathing and maintain that kind of awareness, that mindfulness alive, mindfulness of compassion, you are protected by compassion. And what he say will not touch off irritation and anger in you anymore. That is why the practice is called the practice of compassionate listening. That is the practice of Avalokita Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of deep listening. You are the Bodhisattva now. You are listening to him or to her. And you tell yourself that um, he is victims of many wrong perceptions, but I will not interrupt him now. Later on, in three, four days, when the occasion comes up, I will offer him some information so that he can correct his perceptions, but not now. So if you listen, you can listen to him like that, one hour he will suffer less. And we encourage the group that is speaking to use uh, the kind of speech called loving speech. You should speak gently. You have the right to tell the other side all kind of suffering that you have gone through. But do not use the language of accusation, blaming, and so on. That could make it easier for the other person to receive your message, how much your side has suffered, children and adults also. So your purpose is not to blame. Your purpose is to help them to understand that they are not the only group that suffer. Your group has suffered a lot also, and that's your duty. And that is the practice of gentle speech, loving speech. So uh, for the second week, we initiate both, both groups into that practice of compassionate listening and loving speech. And the miracle happened because uh, on the Israelis, on the side of Israelis, they believe that they are only vic- victims of the conflict. The other side did not suffer. But in fact, when they listen, they notice that the, on the other side they suffer exactly like uh, they have suffered on this side. So the first time they see the suffering in the other group. And suddenly their anger, their fear, their suspicion subside. And they begin to look with different eyes. There is a, a flavor, an element of compassion in their way of looking. 
for the first time. They look at the um, Palestinians with the eyes of compassion. Why? Because they have seen the suffering on the other side. When you look with that eyes, you suffer much less. And the other person, the other group, suffer less right away. They realize, recognize that on the other side, there are human beings like us and who have suffered exactly like us. It's very healing. And uh, they know that uh, they will have a chance to tell the other side of their own suffering. So they have uh, enough peace and uh, compassion to continue with the listening. And many of us in Bangladesh, we are not Palestinians or Israelis, but we have to come and sit down and contribute our mindfulness and, and stability and compassion so that both groups can, can, can practice well the practice of deep listening and loving speech. And finally, both groups uh, begin to share um, a meal together. Both groups uh, uh, begin to hold hands and do walking meditation together, which is a miracle. In the beginning, it was impossible. And finally, at the end of uh, that, their practice time, they always came up as one group, reporting to the whole Sangha about the progress of their practice. And always promised that when they go back to the Middle East, they will organize uh, groups of practice like this, so other Palestinians and Israelis can come and practice and suffer less. Uh, we have uh, sponsored many groups like that for many years. And uh, we know that uh, it works, the practice of uh, compassionate listening and loving speech. So when you see two friends are in conflict, you must stand firm and you try to help both of them and using, suggest to them the practice of mind, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, compassionate listening and loving speech. And that applies to two groups. And the first thing you may like to do in a conflict, in a difficult uh, relationship, is to go to him. If you are one of the two, side and you begin like this my dear friend or my dear husband or my dear uh, partner I know you have suffered a lot during the past three four years and you have to look at him or her to see the suffering in him or her before you can say that I know you have suffered very much in the last three or four years. I have not able to help you to suffer less. In fact, I have made the situation worse by blaming you because I did not understand. I did not see your suffering. I did not see your difficulties. 
it's not my intention to make you suffer, dear one. I made you suffer because I did not understand your suffering, your difficulties. So you should help me. You should tell me what is in your heart, the suffering you have undergone, the difficulties you, are, you have been having, so that I will understand, I will not react like I have before. If you don't help me, who will help me? And that is, uh, that is uh, loving speech. And if you can say like that sincerely, the other person will open his heart and tell you. And now you have a chance to sit like a, the Bodhisattva of deep listening and listen to him. One hour of listening like that will help release a lot of suffering in the other person. And uh, in the retreats we organize in Germany, in Switzerland, in uh, Italy, in many countries in Europe, the miracle of uh, reconciliation always happens. If, uh, if uh, people in the retreat, if both persons are in the retreat, it will be easy because both of them have been exposed to the Dharma rain and uh, the seed of understanding and uh, compassion have been watered. But if the other person is not in the retreat, uh, and then you, you are authorized to use your mobile telephone <laughs> and practice uh, with him or her at home, and that was only on the that is only on the fifth day, on the fifth day. Usually we say, dear friends, you have up to midnight tonight in order to put into the practice the teaching of loving speech and deep listening to reconcile with him or her and report to us tomorrow morning. I remember one time in Oldenburg, northern Germany. In the morning, four gentlemen, German gentlemen, came to me and reported that last, the night before, they had used telephone and talked to their father. And all four of them were able to reconcile with their father. And one of them said, Dear Thay, I, did, I could not believe that I could talk to him like that. I was so angry at him. I never believed that I can talk to him with that kind of language. But after four days of practice, I could see that my father suffered a lot. And that is why when I called him up, I found surprised to see that I was able to talk to him like that. Dear father, Daddy, I know you have suffered a lot during the past three, four years. I was not able to help you and I, made, uh, I have reacted in such a way that make the situation worse. It's not my intention to make you suffer, Daddy. That's because of, I, am, I was ignorant. I did not know that you suffered so much. Please help me to understand. And if you don't help me, who will help? And that opened the heart of, of the father. 
and they had a conversation and they reconciled. And that is why I said that the miracle of reconciliation always happens in our retreat, whether it is in Macau or Hong Kong, uh, Seoul, uh, 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 Tokyo, uh, uh, London, it always happens. So uh, if you want to help uh, your friends and a group of friends to do that, well, make good use of the teaching of the Buddha, deep listening, compassionate listening, and loving speech. Dear Thay, our friend is writing, How can I not suffer when I see my 26-year-old son's life unraveling because of drug addiction? He cannot see that his unhappy and difficult circumstances are a result of his continuing poor choices. So I don't tell him that anymore. I just tell him how much I wish he were not suffering. I am overcome by grief and despair whenever I talk to him or think of him. Besides simply not talking to him or thinking of him, what can I do to stop my own suffering? There are many ways to help a person. And as a good practitioner, we should be skillful. The Buddha speaks about skillful means. There are many ways to help a person. If you cannot help directly, and you can help indirectly. There are people who can talk to your son, and you have to to find them and ask them to help. There are ways to help. If uh, in order to to succeed in our in our effort to help a person, we have to cultivate. Uh, our capacity of uh, deep listening and loving speech. If the other person does not accept to talk to you because uh, we are not fresh enough, we are not uh, loving enough, at least that person is not capable of seeing our love. Sometimes we have the willingness to help, but we are not skillful enough. I think the, the right part of practice is that uh, the first thing we should do is to cultivate our um, pleasantness. It means we should become a pleasant person with uh, freshness, with loving kindness. The children, the children, other people like to come and sit close to you because you are, you radiate that freshness, that goodness. So uh, practice so that you can bring 
restore your freshness, flower fresh, and uh, water reflecting, and space uh, free. These are qualities that make your person pleasant. And with, uh, with that, it's much easier to use a loving speech and deep listening. If we fail in helping him or her, it's because we, we are not strong enough in this practice. Even if we don't say anything yet, but our manner, if we're going in that direction, and the other person will notice it very soon. And it is him or her that will come to us first. If we are truly pleasant, fresh, and loving, people will need us and come to us. Even if we are not the father, the mother, or the friend. She said that she herself is so overwhelmed by her own despair that she stopped talking to her son and tried not to think of her son. And she doesn't know how else to, to take care of the suffering inside of her, the mother. When you are overcome by grief and despair, you cannot do anything. <laughs> For you, and not to say for your son. When you are overcome by grief and despair, you don't have any uh, any uh, freshness, uh, any love in order to do anything. You cannot give yourself love. You cannot help yourself. How can you help the other person? And um, you might think that the suffering in you has come from him for her, but it, uh, it may have come from yourself. We always uh, blame uh, the suffering on uh, the environment, on the other person, but in fact, uh, the suffering has come from from oneself. And that is why um, the practice of uh, the basic practice of breathing, relaxing, looking deeply can help uh, release uh, the suffering inside and cultivate more understanding and compassion. And then you can do something to help later. But if you continue to to think about how to help uh, your son, your daughter, and if you do not do anything to help yourself, there will be no hope. And then when you are fresh, when you feel lighter, and then you may, uh, you may recognize the fact that you have friends that can help you. Um, 
Sometimes when you're uh, facing a decision, you normally have two answers, uh, the one that you think is right and the one that you feel that is right inside. And I want to just ask if there's any way you could distinguish the two or if either or is correct. So dear Tai, our friend is saying uh, sometimes when you have to make a decision about something and you see, you can only see two possible ways to decide, and one seems to be from your thinking mind, what you think is right, and the other one is more like what you feel in your heart. And how do you, how do you practice with that kind of uh, dual choice? Yeah. In fact, um, the mind is in the heart, and the heart is in, in the mind. Now we cannot uh, we cannot uh, separate the two according to the teaching of interbeing. The mind is made of non-mind elements, including the heart. So to think that uh, there are two distinct solutions is not correct. Suppose you follow your mind. <laughs> and make a decision. You cannot be peaceful with that, because you know that your mind is not, you are not just your mind. Uh, And that is why uh, you have to recognize the presence of your heart in the mind, the solution, uh, the solution offered by the mind should also satisfy the heart in order to be really a solution of a good mind. Otherwise, it's not uh, the good mind that is uh, functioning. Can you give uh, an example to make it uh, more concrete for, for, for our friends? Um, say if you have a, a friend and you know that he or she is not doing something right uh, to you in your life and in your mind you're thinking it's good to separate yourself from that other person uh, but inside you feel like you always want to keep that person closer um, because they're suffering so it's just if as long as they're around they make you suffer too Our friend is saying that if, if we're close to a person who, who suffers a lot and maybe we feel that it has a negative effect in our own life and so maybe in our mind we say it's better for me that I separate, I leave that person behind but in our heart we don't want to abandon them. You know, I tell you the story of a couple. Maybe you know the story. She is uh, 27 and he is 30. She wants to have a child. She wants very much to have a child. 
but he he doesn't want to have a child. That is the only difference between the two persons. He does not want to have a child because he's afraid of having a child. While she she feels that she is on earth in order to be a mother. She would not be a happy person without a child. So he is afraid of having a child because in his childhood he suffered. His mother was living with a stepfather and they made each other suffer every day. And that was a tragedy. So he did not want the same thing to happen to him and his young uh, partner. And fear is underneath. So he is caught in a conflict. He loves his wife. He wants his wife to be happy having a child. But on the other hand, he is fearful. He doesn't want the same thing to happen again. Because uh, maybe when he has uh, a child, he will treat the child the same way his stepfather and his mother uh, has uh, treated. So he asked the question as what he should do. And he even wanted to become a monk. (laughs) So the solution cannot be either with the heart or either with the mind. Because the person has not seen that heart and mind are together. The mind is the thinking heart, the thinking heart and the feeling mind are the same. I don't think that he can succeed as a monk (laughs) if he he still has that fear in him. You know, in the, in the life of a monk, we have uh, spiritual children. You have to, to gather disciples, and your disciples, novices, are kind of son or daughter to you. And you can make them suffer like uh, you make your own blood son and daughter suffer if you have not transformed. So the young, uh, the young man like to practice the Dharma. But what is the use of practicing the Dharma? The practice of the Dharma should bring transformation, healing and happiness and running away in order to become a monk and leave the other person suffer like that is not good practice. 
a good practice is this. I am determined not to do like my stepfather and like my mother. I may have the seat of my stepfather in me. I may have the the seat of my mother in me. And if I don't practice, I will behave exactly like my stepfather and my mother and make my child suffer. So that is the first determination to make a vow that uh, that I will not allow that seed to grow and to overwhelm me, to 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 uh, to push me, and that is important. And I sh- and I should know the kind of practice that can that can erase the fear in me. With a good practice, I can become a good father. I can, I can, I, 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 I can do exactly the opposite of what my stepfather has done. You know, uh, transformation should be real in order for you to lose your fear and your suffering. And then, uh, if you can remove that fear, you allow your wife to have uh, a child, and you will, together you have the capacity to bring the child up with love. You do exactly the opposite of what your stepfather and your mother has done. And the Dharma can do that. With the Dharma, you can do that. I tell you the story of a war, Vietnam War veteran. There are a few Vietnam War veterans in our midst. That uh, young soldier who went to Vietnam, he killed five uh, children. His unit was destroyed by the guerrillas. And in the unit, his dear friends. That is why he got so angry. He wanted to retaliate. So he came back to the village where his unit was destroyed and brought a bag of sandwiches. Very, very uh, beautiful sandwiches. He put some explosives in the sandwiches. Full of hate, anger, he wanted the people who have destroyed his friends to die. And he hided himself and he saw five children coming out of the village and discovered a bag of sandwiches. And after having eaten, they began to twist and cry. And their parents came and tried to help, but he knew that no one can help the children. It's too late. Even if they have a car, the next hospital will be too far away. So the five children died. 
So when he came back to the United States of America, he could not sleep anymore. And he did not dare to tell the story to anyone except his own mother. His mother tried her best to help him, but did not succeed. His mother said, my son, these things do happen in every kind of war. He could not accept that. And he, when every time he find himself sitting with children in a room alone, he could not bear it. He had to run out of the room right away. And he saw the children in his dreams. And he lived in, continued to live in hell. Until one day, we came to Northern California and we organized a retreat for Vietnam War veterans. We have organized a few retreats like that for hundreds of people who have undergone, who had undergone deep suffering of the war in Vietnam. He was not able to tell his story either. But uh, because uh, there were monks and nuns and lay practitioners who had solid practice, that is why on the fourth day he was able to tell us the story. We sit hours and hours and hours before he could open his mouth and for the first time of his life he can tell the story. With without deep listening and a lot of uh, compassion, that can never happen. So the collective energy of compassion is strong enough for him to open his heart and tell the story. And after telling the story, he suffered less. I gave him myself personally a consultation. I said, my dear friend, you kill five children. That's a fact. But there are things you can do in order to transform your suffering and the suffering of the five children. You are still young and you can use your time, your your life in order to do something that can help transform the wrong thing that you have done in the past. You know that uh, children are continue to die today, everywhere, including in America, in North America. There are children who die just because they need one tablet of medicine. There are children who die because of starvation. And 40,000 children die every day. And you sit there, you don't do anything to help them. You just embrace your suffering. It's true that you have killed five, but today you can save five. And tomorrow you can save six or four. Why don't you use your youth 
your life, your energy in order to do that. Don't stay with that kind of fear, complex, and guilt. And offer him a way out. And during the, the consultation, I can see the transformation taking place. He began to see the way. And he said, hey, I will do it right away. Then I go home. So he put uh, the teaching into the practice. And he, had been, he has been trying to save, to help many children from dying. And it's, it, that is possible today for any man or woman of goodwill. Children are dying every day, everywhere, including in America. And if you want to serve, you can. And finally, after some, some years of practicing, he, he transformed himself. And joy, the joy of living come back. He married a dentist in, uh, in uh, England and settled in France. Close to Plum Village so that he can come and practice with us. So transformation is possible. And when you are transformed, you can do anything and you don't have to be fearful anymore. You don't have to suffer anymore. And it should be good practice, true practice. If you practice uh, sitting meditation for five years, but the practice cannot wipe out that kind of fear, it's not good practice. You have to recognize the seat of fear in you. You have to recognize that you are a human being, you have Buddhahood, the seat of compassion and understanding. You, have, you can have a great vow to transform yourself. And then if you practice like that, a few months may be enough for you uh, to get rid of your fear and to have enough uh, uh, energy of vows the Bodhisattva of great aspiration, Siddhigagba. When you take a great vow, you have a lot of energy, and that energy can help you to transform, and uh, you are capable of, uh, of creating happiness for you and for the other person. Otherwise, no matter how then how much you practice, the fear will continue. And whether you continue with her or you become a monk, it does not help. If you transform that seed of fear in you, uh, to continue with her is good. To become a monk is also good.
would like to ask, um, what does it mean to be free? Dutai, our friend asks, what does it mean to be free? Now, to be free means, always means to be free from something. And in our practice, we, uh, we don't talk much about uh, political freedom. We talk about freedom from anger, from fear, from craving, from despair. Because all of us ha- have the seed of uh, fear, of craving, of anger, of despair. And to practice is uh, to recognize the seeds of affliction in us, uh, not trying to cover them up, but to learn to embrace them and look deeply into their true nature and uh, finally uh, transform them. That is freedom. Suppose um, you have an idea of how to be happy. And that idea might make you suffer. And in order to to stop suffering, you have to free yourself from that idea. Many of us have ideas. Ideas are sometimes very good, but sometimes they make us suffer, including the idea of how to be happy, how to practice Buddhism. As a practitioner, you, you may think that practicing like this is the only way to practice. Other ways of practicing is wrong. That idea is very dangerous. I have to open, to be open. So, so, so if you if uh, you behave like that, not to be caught by an idea, including the idea of how to practice Buddhism, you are free, and freedom gives you a lot of. Uh, of air, of uh, space, of happiness. The idea that uh, happiness uh, is made of fame, power, wealth, sex, and that idea can bring a lot of uh, suffering. And that is why we have to free ourselves from that idea. Ideas, you cannot see them, but they are very powerful. They can imprison you. And perceptions, you cannot see them, but they are very powerful. Especially wrong perceptions. Many terrorists believe that uh, they are victims of people who want to destroy them as uh, 
as a religion, as a way of life, as a, as a culture, as a civilization. They talk about the West as uh, a threat. And uh, they believe that uh, people want to destroy them as a religion, as a way of life, as a culture. And that is why, that's why they want to punish. And again, the fear, the violence, the hate in them that make up the energy to destroy is made of uh, ideas, perceptions. And on the other side, the side of uh, anti-terrorist, they may have ideas also and uh, dangerous ideas also. They may think that uh, the other people are trying to kill us, and that is why we have to prepare to kill them before they kill us. And also motivated by fear. And many regimes, operate on the ground of fear. After September 11th, three days after September 11th, they gave a talk at, uh, in Berkeley for 4,000 people. And he said that uh, we have to be very careful. The first thing we should do is to calm ourselves down and not to act out of fear and anger. The other book, the tourists uh, may have thought that we try to kill them, to destroy them as a religion, as uh, a culture, a way of life. They have wrong perceptions because we do not want to kill and destroy them. But we may have done or said something that gave them the impression that we want to kill them as a religion, destroy them as a way of life. Because we are human beings, and sometimes we are not skillful enough. We may say something, we may do something that gave them the impression that we want to destroy them, to kill them. But in fact, we don't have that intention. So we must not be too sure of ourselves that we have not done anything. So the, maybe the first thing you have to do is to talk to them. Dear friends over there, you may have the impression, the idea that we want to kill you, destroy you, punish you. But we don't have that, impression, uh, that intention at all. We might have said or done something unskillful that give you the impression that we, we want to destroy you, but in fact we don't. Please tell us. 
what you have in mind, and we may we may be able to to tell you that that is not our intention. So that is what they recommended to the American people. Three days after the event. So uh, to be free is a practice. And to be free, first of all, is to be free of uh, our wrong perceptions. And if we want to uproot terrorism, we should know that uh, wrong perceptions are at the foundation of terrorism and violence. If we are able to remove the wrong perceptions in the mind of terrorists, we can make them into gentle, loving people. We know that wrong perceptions is at the foundation of violence and terrorism. And to remove uh, wrong perceptions with bombs and guns, you cannot do it. You have to use dialogue. You have to use deep listening, compassionate listening and loving speech, which is recommended by the Buddha. The practice of listening, deep listening and loving, and loving speech can restore communication between a couple, between two groups of people. And when communication is restored, uh, it can help remove wrong perceptions and become friends and allies. And this is very important. And uh, we can say that to be free first is to be free from wrong perceptions. And understanding and compassion will become possible. Vietnam vet that has yet to return and still suffers from PTSD asks for the love from the multiple generations that he sees here of the people in Vietnam and let them know as the last man from Ice Pick that we cared, we really cared. This is a very moving question, so um, I feel very touched by this. Our friend is asking, how can a Vietnam veteran who still suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder communicate to the many generations of Vietnamese people in this retreat that he and his friends who went to Vietnam cared about them, cared about the Vietnamese people. 
Uh, I was um, exiled from Vietnam for almost 40 years because I dared to speak uh, against, I had dared to speak against the war in Vietnam. 39 years uh, after I went out of Vietnam to call for the cessation of the of the hostilities uh, uh, I was able to organize um, praying ceremonies to pray for the people who died in Vietnam including Americans both people and so on. We organized a big ceremony in Ho Chi Minh City, one in Hue City and one in Southern Hanoi. And so many people came. And that the, the first time in the country that we pray for both North and South, communist and anti-communist, Vietnamese and non-Vietnamese. The first time we did it. And many thousands of us came and practiced mindful sitting, mindful walking, and we sit for the dead, the people who have died during the war. We have practiced walking for those who have died during the war. So it's very healing. And uh, there's no discrimination anymore uh, between communists and anti-communists, uh, Vietnamese and non-Vietnamese. And we have promised to our ancestors, both Vietnamese and Americans, that we will never start a war like that in the future. Because we know that uh, only with that kind of uh, promise that the people who died will be able to smile. I think veterans, uh, the uh, young Americans who went to Vietnam, they are sent by the, by the American people, nation. They, don't, they did not go by, by themselves alone. They were sent by the whole country, the whole nation. And it was a kind of perception about Vietnam, about communism, that has uh, started the whole, the, the whole, the whole thing. So everyone is responsible, not just one person who is making the policy. Everyone is uh, is responsible. And all Americans uh, suffer, not just uh, the one who went to Vietnam. Collective suffering. But those who, who go to Vietnam, they are on the spot. They are on the tip of the candle. It's very hard. I myself is a war veteran working for peace. Many of us have died because of peace work. We are 
persecuted by both sides because he wants to reconcile. But we try to keep our compassion, brotherhood, sisterhood alive when we die. We don't die in anger. Many young monks and nuns and lay uh, practitioners uh, died working for peace, and we do not die in anger and despair. You know, we are doing that for brotherhood, sisterhood. We, we saw right in the beginning that the Vietnamese were using foreign ideologies and foreign weapons to kill each other. And we tried to tell our compatriots that's not a wise thing to do, not to use uh, communism and anti-communism as ideologies, not to use a Chinese, Russian, American weapons to, to kill each other. But our voice was lost in the sound of bombs. It is the warring parties that have the newspaper, the radio, the television, the mass media. And our voice was lost. And therefore, from time to time, we have to burn ourselves alive in order for us to be listening to. So we do that for the whole nation and just for one group of people. The question is, uh, Again, the perception, the perception that has led to the war. Both warring parties have their own perception. The communists have their own perception, and they believe their, their perception is the right one. That's the only way to save the country and to help the world. And on the other side, anti-communists, they have their own perception. And containing communism is the only way to do in order to help Vietnam and to help the world. So perceptions are the, are the foundation. And we are all victims of these perceptions, whether you are Northerners or Southerners, Vietnamese or Americans. So if you can see that we are all victims, and then we see that uh, no one is blaming no one anymore, we see the roots of the problems, perceptions. And it may be very healing if we, we promise each other like we have done in, during the mass uh, ceremonies. Dear brothers, dear sisters, dear ones who have died during the war, who have been maimed, destroyed, killed, put into prisons, die in the mountain, in the sea. We recognize that uh, ideological war, like the one we have uh, gone through, 
very destructive. We know that uh, we are all brothers and sisters, and we, sh- we should not kill our own brothers and sisters. We have learned the lesson for us, for the whole country, and we promise you that never again we will start a war like that. That is the only thing we can do in order to reconcile with ourselves and reconcile with other people. And you don't have to go to Vietnam in order to reconcile. You stay here and you practice purification and you see the same, same truth. And the healing can take place if we have the right understanding. Right understanding bring about love. And uh, Vietnamese and Americans, we have learned a lot from the suffering. And we should continue to learn. Suffering can interrupt us. And we learn until, well, we are determined not to start something like that again in Vietnam or anywhere including Afghanistan Iraq Iran and so on so the key word is to wake up for the whole nation to wake up to wake up and to see that we don't want to repeat the same thing again anywhere we have to use uh, loving speech, deep listening to solve problems and not to use the military forces. And that is the only way to heal. And we shall do it together. <laughs>